cash. How do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Graff, joined today by my colleague at The Athletic Minnesota, Arif Hassan. Arif, we are coming to the listeners live uh, from Lambeau Field in the Visitors Coaches Box, where one can imagine just a couple of hours ago, there were probably some choice words said after uh, a certain interception in the end zone. The Vikings, of course, lost 21-16 to the Packers, but I think we have to start there, Arif. What in the world was Kirk Cousins thinking? Yeah, I mean, there's no way you can talk about this game without talking about that play. It defined everything, and the only answer you can give is that he wasn't. Right. In fact, my whole podcast prep right now is just (laughs) Kirk Cousins' interception, WTF, question mark, question mark, question mark. Right. I mean, it's first down, right? So there's a couple of ways that we can take a look at this play, but just I think from the perspective of just Kirk Cousins, It's first down, he's rolling out, play action, naked, there's no protection, Tyler Lancaster's approaching him, he has to do something with the ball. All of that, totally understand. Uh, He takes a look at Diggs in the end zone, he sees an opposite corner, that's a spot where only the receiver can get it. That, I understand. With that pressure bearing down, he's falling back, has to get rid of the ball, this I don't understand. It's first down, you can throw the ball away, you've got two, maybe even three, more downs. It's probably four down territory. There's right. five minutes left. They're down 21 to 16. So a field goal doesn't do you a whole lot of good. And so you presumably have three more plays after this one, after you throw it away. Right. And, and the thing is, if you take a look at the play, I mean, you and I have watched this play. I think you have it up. A mind-numbing <laughs> amount of times. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and you watch Diggs kind of streaking across the, the end zone. There are actually moments where Diggs is open, Kirk doesn't want to throw it for whatever reason. Maybe he doesn't have a base. Maybe his feet aren't set. You know, maybe uh, it, it just kind of doesn't work with the progression of kind of where his body is. Fine, I understand. Would have been nice to try and kind of rifle one in there. Maybe he doesn't have the arm strength for that. But if that's the case, <laughs> then he doesn't have the arm strength to throw off of his back foot into the opposite corner of the end zone. And then Kevin King doesn't have an opportunity to catch up and intercept. There's no, like, set of decisions where... He has the tools to make that throw where he wouldn't have been able to make a better throw half a second or a second or one and a half seconds earlier in the play. I mean, even ideally, if he wants to make that throw, he needs to step up, take the hit from Tyler Lancaster on the chin and throw it. But he doesn't even need to do that, right? Because it's first down. Yeah. Well, and King said, you know, I I understand why he threw that. I felt like I was beat. Stefan Diggs was a step ahead of me. So there is a world in which you could justify that throw, as you mentioned, but it involves planting your feet, probably getting crushed on the play, and then throwing a dart to the corner of the end zone where maybe Stefan Diggs is able to grab it, maybe not, but he's the only person who has a shot at it. And even that doesn't seem like too wise of a play because, you know, I, I don't think that the Vikings necessarily want Kirk Cousins getting drilled right there and then right. having to pop back up and and play the three most meaningful <laughs> plays of the game right after that. Uh, but let's go back just a few plays, even to, you know, we'll get, of course, to everything else in the game, how the Vikings somehow uh, couldn't do anything to stop the Packers offense and, and got, you know, trailing 21 to zero, and then suddenly looked like an outstanding defense that limited the Packers every single time, 11 straight possessions with either a turnover on downs, a punt, a fumble, uh, everything that went into all of that. But first, the Vikings had a number of chances to 
drive down 21 to 16 and get what would have been Kirk Cousins' first game-winning drive with the Vikings, his first fourth quarter comeback, his first any number of things, what probably would have felt like a defining win for Kirk Cousins and the Vikings if they were able to come back at Lambeau Field from down 21 to zero and complete a fourth quarter comeback. Like that's that's the win of Kirk Cousins' Vikings tenure. But the the drive that begins all of this, Chad Beebe has a nice punt return. The Vikings take over uh, at their own 40-yard line, 60 yards away from the game-winning touchdown. Seven of their first eight plays were runs. Granted, one was Kirk Cousins scrambling what felt like 25 yards and ended up gaining six. Uh, but six of those eight plays designed rushes. They were going well. Dalvin Cook was running the ball well. It had carries, I think, of eight, three, ten there. Alexander Madison was getting in on the mix. The play before the interception he runs over what feels like three different Packers linebackers, uh, was gets 14 yards and gets out of bounds. Mike Zimmer says at that point, his thinking is, you know, the Packers defense is tired. He has noticed that it seems like they're starting to line up in the wrong spots. Everything really has gone as he had hoped for. This was an offense that he wanted to run the ball a lot to wear down the opposition. Finally, they had worn down the opposition. Uh, they get the ball now on the eight-yard line, eight yards away from the touchdown. Were you okay with the play call? Like, like, let's start there, and then we can break down more of what actually happened on the play. But the play call itself, play action, Cousins rolls right, has Thielen and Diggs as options. What are your thoughts on, on that play call? So I, I'm not, I don't think it's a tremendously bad one. Personally, I think that they probably could have done a couple of other things maybe a little bit better. Obviously, I get the benefit of hindsight, right? right? Which is what they were saying, is that you get the benefit of hindsight to say something like that. And like you said, of those running plays that were successful, one of them was a passing play, right? right? And it ends up being a scramble. Uh, there are ways to take advantage of a defense that's misaligned if you're going to do it. They could run a counterplay. They, in fact, ran a very successful counterplay against the Falcons for a 21-yard touchdown for Dalvin Cook. Uh, and so uh, the idea that, you know, a play action is maybe the best way to take advantage of a defense that's having trouble getting lined up correctly, that's, you know, basically scrambling to get into the right position, that's tired. I get it. I understand it. Uh, Kirk Cousins is good on play action, right? Well, and that's part of like <laughs> looking back and watching this play the number of times that we have. This is like the exact play that we talked so often about this offseason that Kevin Stefanski was going to draw up for Kirk Cousins that was going to bring out the best in Kirk Cousins under center, play action, roll him out of the pocket, let him get creative. This was the play that we've talked about forever that was going to bring out the best in Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and and they shouldn't have called it. <laughs> I mean, I understand why they call it. That, you know, I can nitpick and I can have some issues with, and I think it was the incorrect move. Obviously, history has given me the latitude <laughs> to say that. A um, touchdown but, and it's a bold, genius move <laughs> right, by Kevin yeah, Stefanski. Exactly. The boy wonder. But, uh, you know, they're they're actually, at that point in the game, they're averaging more yards per carry, 7.8, than they are yards per pass, 7.7, <laughs> right? It's not and a huge that difference. but never happens, right? Yeah, that's extraordinary. And the thing is, seven yards a carry, that normally regresses by the time you get to, like, the third quarter. I mean, I've looked at a lot of games because of the Patriots game back when, you know, <laughs> DeFilippo wasn't going to run the ball. Yep. I've looked at a lot of games where, where teams have run the ball and averaged over seven yards a carry, and they never carry that with them. And the Vikings did, right? They're, they're able to consistently, continuously run the ball on a Packers defense that it seemingly has never been able to defend the run uh, and certainly wasn't able to do so here despite the mismatches all across the offensive line. I mean, Dalvin Cook was extraordinary in this game. Alexander Madison did a lot. 
And so, I, I mean, and, and, and Kirk is right. Analytically speaking, when you get close to the end zone, it's actually better to run it than it is to throw it because of the compressed fields and the higher likelihood of interceptions. Uh, and so running the ball makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. And in the context of the game, I think would have made a lot of sense. Very often when you hear coaches talk about how defenses are tired, they'll say that's why they ran the ball. And right. so it's, it's, it's interesting. I think you can say whatever you want about you know the defense being, and it could be a justification for any play call. I understand why they made this play call. It's not my biggest issue. I think it's Cousins' awareness and decision-making that's the biggest issue. But, you know, if we, if we wanted to talk about the coaching aspect of it and kind of remove ourselves from talking about the players, yeah, I think that that was a poor call. Yeah, my, my two thoughts are essentially very similar to what you outlined, which is that two things can be true. One, the Vikings probably should have run the ball there and, and would have had more success running the ball there. But also, two, you can call that play on first down if you're Kevin Stefanski thinking – Kirk Cousins has two options here. If those options are not available, I trust my 31-year-old veteran of 80 NFL games to know in this situation with three more downs after this, throw the ball away. Instead, it wasn't just that he decided not to throw the ball away. As he was rolling right and starts to get the pressure, he drifts farther and farther back to the point where by the time he throws the ball, he's 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. Even if he wanted to throw the ball away, that that takes a heck of a lot of arm strength just to get it out of the end zone. (laughs) It's absurd that it came down to that. Well, the thing is, I mean, he didn't need to... The referees told us essentially that you don't need to try too hard to get it near an intended receiver yes. for it not to be intentional. They made that all game on both sides. <laughs> so, you know, if, if he's out of the pocket. He just needs to get it past the line of scrimmage at that point, which he's 15 yards away from at that point. But, you know, it, it's 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 bizarre. And in the worst in the worst case scenario, he can try and beat Lancaster to the edge. I think he's I mean, Lancaster tested pretty well at his pro day, but I think he's faster, right? It's not right. difficult to say he's faster than a 300-pound defensive lineman. He could probably get to the edge and maybe pick up a yard or two if he's not comfortable with throwing it away, which mm-hmm. is absurd to me. Yeah. Let's take a step back and sort of look at the big picture. And this is, you know, what I wrote a little bit about after uh, this loss that will be posted on The Athletic Minnesota, which is, Everything around Kirk Cousins is supposedly set up for him. He's got a great defense. He's got a great running back. He's got two great wide receivers. What if he's just not good enough? Like they organize the playbook to do what he does best. He has great weapons at the skill position and a defense that is very good that, you know, albeit while they struggled for the first three drives against the Packers, it's worth noting that one of them came on a short field because of a Kirk Cousins fumble uh, so yes, 14-0 at the start was not great. The fumble doesn't help things. After that, Vikings defense outstanding to the point where even with as good as Aaron Rodgers is, a quarterback who almost always gets the benefit of the doubt, I felt like if the Vikings scored a touchdown there with around four minutes left, I would have been pretty comfortable trusting yeah. that defense that Aaron Rodgers was not going to do what Aaron Rodgers has done for so many years and orchestrate some great comeback. It, the defense was that good. And so... If the defense is great, if the running back is great, if the wide receivers, at least the first two of them, are great, like what more? Has what more to, do you need? What like, more do you need? Is he just not good enough? I think is the scary question that you know the Vikings will have to confront sooner rather than later. And not that he's not good enough to win you nine or ten games, because I think he is. But the original plan was not to bring Kirk Cousins in here to win nine or ten games. It was that we have all of the other pieces 
that by bringing in this quarterback who has shown the ability to do things that Case Keenum has not consistently shown, this is the missing piece to get us over the hump. And, you know, certainly there have only been 18 games in his tenure, but games like today, I think, are the ones that make you think, even with everything around him good, it's still not good enough. The one thing he doesn't have around him is pass protection on the offensive line. That's the only thing. And while that does sound like a big thing, I mean, Cousins was pressured on 60% of his dropbacks in this game. That's unreasonable over the course of a year. The worst pressure rate for any quarterback is going to be around 40%, maybe 45, uh, if it's, you know, the Sean Watson kind of situation. Um, 60% in a single game is just untenable. But that doesn't mean that he shouldn't have some ability to kind of manage a lot of that. Uh, no quarterback is going to find themselves in a situation where all of those pieces are in place, where you've got, you know, a remarkable play caller. I mean, because for all of the all of the criticism we just had of that one play call, Stefanski has so far shown that he's a pretty good play caller yeah, and is probably a big part of the reason the running game is looking so good right now. Um, so you've got, you've got a pretty good play caller. You've got all pro capable receivers. You've got an all pro <laughs> capable. I mean, I'm saying it, it as a bit of an exaggeration, but I mean, Dalvin Cook is not far remarkable from it. Yeah. over these past two games. Dalvin Cook under the radar today, super quietly. 154 100, yards. 191 yards of offense. 36 <laughs> yards receiving. Like, I started totaling it. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I don't know if we can swear on here or not, but holy shit, he had 191 <laughs> yards of offense. Well, he had 129 of those rushing yards after contact. <laughs> yeah, so only only 25 or 29, right. something like that. Only, only a, a por- 25 of those yards occurred before. So actually, if you take a look, you say, hey, the running game was really good. The offensive line must have run blocked really well. I'm not actually Dalvin so Dalvin Cook's just sure good. Yeah, he broke a ton of tackles. Even if you get rid of that like 75-yard run, uh, he ends up with 4.2 yards per carry. And how many backs, <laughs> if you get rid of their longest run, right, right. have average <laughs> yards per carry? I mean, that's, that's remarkable. And a lot of that is because of what he did. So you've got an all-pro-capable running game, let's say that. Uh, and then you've got two all-pro-capable receivers. And I mean, I guess Chad Beebe's not as bad at wide receiver at three as I originally Turns thought. Turns out that worked so, out well. Yeah, that seems fine. Uh, you've got this defense that puts you in great field position and, and, and a defense that uh, allowed, after those first three drives, two third-down conversions for the rest <laughs> of the game out of, like, the 10 attempts that, that or 11 attempts that the uh, that the Packers had. So, uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback, right? Uh, Aaron Rodgers ended up with uh, 3.1 yards per attempt after those after That's those three drives. unbelievable. Yeah. He, like, even knowing how good the Vikings defense he was. He looked worse than Jared Goff after that. Obviously, yeah. you get he, he gets the whole game. He gets credit right, for that. Of course. But still, 6.1 or whatever yards per attempt he had on the, on the, on the total for the game. Which, not that great on the total. Yeah, that's not great. So even if we include that first quarter, he doesn't end up having net a good game. And that sounds ridiculous. They won the game. He scored really quickly. But 21 points is not very much for him. And most teams, At if home. they allow 21 points, usually have the capability to put up more. I mean, 24 points is usually kind of that breaking point where offenses should be able to kind of score more than than that than they're allowed. And the Vikings obviously had an opportunity to score 23 points a couple of times. Yep. And so uh, the, the defense puts them in a remarkable... So, so Cousins has all of these things available to him. He's missing one thing, and there are very few quarterbacks 
that have all of those things. A lot of them are missing one or even two of those things. I mean, you even take a look at these remarkable quarterback situations. Drew Brees, before he got injured today, for example, has a lot of these things, but his offensive line isn't as good as it used to be, and he's only really got one of those receivers, right? right. Or you take a look at Tom Brady, who's got this amazing receiving core right now, a little less amazing next week probably, but <laughs> this amazing receiving core right now, an all-pro kind of offensive line coach, if you will, a Hall yep, of Fame offensive line enough. coach, who's been able to put together this protection, and this like weird staple of running back that's like kind of whatever fine yeah and 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 tom brady's been able to produce and so uh all of these quarterbacks even in these situations that you would say that's an ideal situation are missing one of these elements right so to say cousins has all of these things but not this thing is probably not enough of an excuse because there's only so much you can do in the current cap environment there's only so much you can do in an nfl that discourages your ability to generate as much talent as possible uh, and and the Vikings put him in just this remarkably good situation that he should be able to manage. And hey, if that offensive line isn't blocking for you, then you need to call quicker passes. You need to get rid of the ball quicker. You need to throw it away when you're under pressure. <laughs> you need to do more to take advantage of the tools that you have in order to make up for the problems that you have. Woof. Well, sorry for ruining your Monday morning commute with that talk of how Kirk Cousins, $86 million guaranteed later, <laughs> uh with everything around him still may not be the answer. And the Vikings still, you know, will possibly be this middling team, or at least that's how it appeared today. But the other part of it was they just looked so good, say, after the first quarter in so many other phases. So to you, what what was more impressive? Dalvin Cook and, of course, his monster game and the offense getting going at that point because of the running game or what the defense did to limit Rodgers and, and the weapons that he has? That's a really good question. I would say that just because, you know, those those initial drives really kind of soured things for for the Vikings defense, probably Delvin Cook. Like mm-hmm. I I just think that that capability and and this isn't like the same Packers defense that got torched by Colin Kaepernick, right? This is this is a Packers defense that has done a much better job tackling, that has done a much better. I mean, they did a great job on on David Montgomery, who maybe he only had two snaps. Uh, you know, Mike Davis and Tariq Cohen just last week. Those were all very talented backs. Right. And so, I mean, this is this is a defense that has done a better job tackling. Blake Martinez isn't bad at linebacker. And then you've got this great core along the defensive line and, and an outside linebacker. They know how to tackle. They're pretty good at it. And that's kind of what Mike Pettin has been able to do with this defense. And still, he was able to break a ton of tackles to get a ton of yards. It's not just that 75 yard run. Like you said, he had that run of three yards and a run of eight yards and a run of 10 yards later. Uh, and, and so he's been able to really put the Vikings in in a great position. And he did so in this game. And I understand maybe the Vikings think, hey, you know, we had to take him out. Madison is in. We don't trust Madison as much. So maybe that's another reason that they wouldn't run the ball there, although he did just get 14 yards. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I understand, like, why you wouldn't always go to that well. But, I mean, what you said, 190, including yep. the Including the receiving? three catches for 37 yards. That, I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. Uh, and, and it looks like consistent catches, too, yeah. because the Long longest game 13. 13. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, Delvin Cook uh, might have ended up being the player, especially if he was able to punch it in at the end. Right. Might have been the it player was, It was of the game. all set up for a Dalvin Cook game. <laughs> right. If he runs in there to cement the, the game-winning drive yeah. to come back. Goes over 200 yards from scrimmage yep. and gets that next touchdown. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, I don't want to harp on Kirk Cousins the entire podcast, though after a game like today, you could probably do multiple podcasts just on Kirk Cousins. So this will be the last topic on him before we move elsewhere but it wasn't just that Kirk Cousins made the boneheaded play when they had a chance to win the game it was sort of the game in its entirety 14 completions 32 attempts 230 yards one touchdown two interceptions two fumbles uh, only one of the fumbles lost but still the two fumbles 
he just, you know, he had a few passes, like the one over the top to Stefan Diggs, where he's, and this sort of encapsulates Kirk, Kirk Cousins, I think, that he Beautiful. has a pass like that that, you know, is, is perfect. Yeah. You couldn't drop it in a better spot. Worked out perfect touchdown. Uh, you know, of course, we can get into Stefan Diggs and, and what Mike Zimmer called a selfish play after that when he took off his helmet, um, a la the miracle, even while they're still down. Um, and in a of course, context. yeah, in a very different context. Um, but outside of that, Kirk Cousins did not have a good game sort of in any other facet. What, what, what did he look off to you? Was it something you thought that the Packers defense was doing? Like, it wasn't just that terrible interception, though. That, of course, is the highlight. He was just not good today. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to just blame, you know, things external to him. Uh, because it's very clearly kind of on him. But the fact that pressure kept arriving early, um, I think kind of rattled him throughout the rest of the game. And like I said, I mean, he was under pressure 60% of the time, and he had pressure coming from a bunch of different directions. I think the only good offensive lineman in pass protection was probably Brian O'Neill. Uh, and he did, I think, a remarkable job in this game. But beyond that, even Josh Klein, who was who's generally been fine these past two games, you know, he had some mistakes. And so you ended up with like Kenny Clark in his face or Tyler Lancaster in his face or Dean Lowry in his face or one of the Smiths before Zadarius Smith got, got injured. So uh, you ended up with, you know, one of a number of defensive linemen in his face. He ends up getting a couple of hits. He ends up under pressure a lot. And it seems like that he played when he was in a clean pocket, he played as if he was under pressure. Right. And so I think that's part of it that he's kind of hurrying his process in some situations or he was trying to delay in other situations and try and get get more going. And and you saw evidence of him pressing sometimes even on good plays like that. Like you mentioned, the 25 yard scramble that really only gained six <laughs> yards. Um, yeah, he was pressing on that play. It ended up being a positive for the Vikings. But, you know, he was he was pressing on that play and he was pressing on a lot of plays. And I think it's because, you know, maybe he's a little bit too aware of the score and not enough aware of the specific situation that it's, you know, first and eight or whatever. Uh, and so uh, I, I think he really wanted to be a hero. And I, I don't like doing this kind of armchair psychology stuff, <laughs> but it was very clear he was hurrying his process. Why? I guess I'm not entirely sure. Maybe that's one explanation that he really wanted to be a hero against the Packers. He was last year, yep. right? Technically, he has one fourth quarter drive or one fourth quarter comeback, <laughs> but not true. a game winning drive. That's true. Right? I did not think of that. Yes, he, <laughs> he had the fourth quarter drive. Uh, overcoming Laquan Treadwell and a lot right, of circumstances yeah. in this building today for a lot of it kind of felt like last year's game too, where the Vikings got off to a rough start. Kirk Cousins was not good. And then after sort of that pass to Stefan Diggs, you started to think like, man, this is just like last season. Kirk Cousins is really starting to turn it on. Uh, of course, though, it, it did not carry over after that drive. One stat that popped out to me just from looking at the stat sheet real quick Stefan Diggs targeted seven times, only one catch being uh, the touchdown catch. Of course, he had sort of, you know, a quasi-touchdown reception before that on a slant that was taken off upon review, a review that was prompted because it was a scoring play, uh, that it was determined that Dalvin Cook had an offensive pass interference, so the ball gets moved back and the Vikings settle for a field goal there. Before we get into the defense, let's just mention real quick the offensive pass interferences. Uh, I have not covered or cannot recall a game anyway when offensive pass interference was such a popular call, primarily against the Vikings, though there was a play, I believe, against Jimmy Graham uh, when the Packers were, yes. were trying to drive. Yeah. So 
Did you have any takeaway of, of why in the world this was such a popular call it was, today? It was so bizarre, especially because uh, in order to call that, the ball needs to be in the air. It needs to be in flight. Otherwise, you could get like maybe illegal holding or whatever. Uh, and so on, I think, two of them, not the not cook one. So Thielen, um, which the ball was in the air, and then Diggs, where the ball wasn't in the air, uh, I, I just thought were kind of bizarre calls. And you know, the coaches have basically been told not to challenge ones that are called and only challenge... Effectively, they've been mm-hmm. told that, right? Because the only overturns we've seen have been in favor of implementing a pass interference that wasn't there instead of picking up the flag, uh, which I think is kind of bizarre, but fine. And uh, that, that digs one... Uh, that just strikes me as like, that's just part of route running. The ball wasn't in the air. Now it's in the... And so it was very, very weird to me. The Cook one... I think that, you know, it's a pick play, but I don't think it's pass interference, and that's the only part that's reviewable under right. these rules. And, again, because the ball wasn't in the air. And then the, the Thielen one, I've got no explanation for. That didn't look... <laughs> I would have, even knowing that they, in like the 800 or so reviews that they've had, including the preseason, I think, actually, Lindsey Jones has an actual account over at The Athletic. i got to check in with her. But maybe 150 actual uh, offensive pass interference reviews because of how much they did in the preseason. They've never overturned one that was... I still would have thrown that flag. Because right. that one on Thielen was just ridiculous. And I didn't take too quick a look at the Graham one. I'm not sure if that's what the offensive pass interference. So I can't say if they called that one a bit tighter. But it was just so bizarre to me how much they called it and how willing and capable and able they were to do it. It's as if they were given kind of a point of emphasis right, right before the game. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Uh, I want to switch now to the defense. And, you know, there's a ton that you could talk about with the defense. But I want to talk about two players in particular, in part for different reasons. Uh, I want to ask you about Xavier Rhodes and Everson Griffin. So let's start with Rhodes. He always had sort of what was going to be a fascinating opening stretch to this season. He, of course, was criticized in the offseason by Mike Zimmer, who said that Xavier Rhodes was not good enough last season, was not nearly the cornerback that he was in 2017 when he was the best cornerback in all of the NFL. Uh, So Mike Zimmer said that he had to get better, and then Rhodes was going to open up with this incredibly daunting task of covering Julio Jones, then Devontae Adams, then Antonio Brown. Right. Uh, of course, that gets shrunk into a two-game stretch with the first two receivers that we mentioned. Against Julio Jones, very good. Jones didn't do Fantastic very much game. against the Vikings at all. Uh, Devontae Adams today, of course, Aaron Rodgers' favorite target, targeted nine times, seven receptions, 106 yards. Started from the very opening play when he had a 39-yard reception. How much of that was... On Xavier Rose, perhaps it's too early to tell how much was, you know, zone defenses or, or some coverage breakdowns. Just in general, sh- are we at a point where we should be concerned about Rhodes or is it still early and he did have a great performance against Julio, so pump the brakes a bit? Where, where, where should we be at with him? I, I would say if we were at a point where it was very clear that, like, at least 100 of those 106 yards right. were, were with Adams on Rhodes, I would say, yeah, this is a point where we can say, Hey, you know, some of the stuff that like the one target on Julio where it was an interception from Anthony Harris. I mean, you know, maybe maybe there's some stuff in there that says that, you know, maybe Rhodes didn't necessarily have a great game against Julio. Maybe the defense did. Um, but in this game, the the biggest plays that Devontae Adams had weren't against Rhodes, which is not to say he had a good game against Adams. He didn't. But you take a look at those first three or four targets and I would say none of those are on Rhodes. I mean, one of them is explicitly on Curse, right? Because that's a 21-yard. Mm-hmm. Curse was in coverage because he's in the slot. Uh, but the first one, the 39-yard play action, it looks like 
you know, Xavier Rhodes and, and Harrison Smith are at least on that half of the field playing cover two, and Harrison Smith is maybe potentially responsible for that guy running the corner route, which is typically kind of how that defense works. It looks like there was maybe some coverage confusion. Zimmer seemed to indicate as much after the game. So, uh, you know, how much Rhodes needed to float back into that coverage and how much he needed to, to take care of the flat, who knows? But I would say that that one's not on Rhodes. I would say that based on his positioning and his understanding of what that defense was supposed to do, that one wasn't on Rhodes. And then you've got kind of the next Devonta Adams reception. He's in the flat. Rhodes actually has somebody else in zone, and then he has to go and tackle him. Coverage not on Rhodes. Tackling, yes, on Rhodes, right, because he just whips. Right. And then after that, you know, I think he had maybe one good play. And then Adams and Rhodes, they line up a fair bit. And especially on those crossers, Rhodes is behind. And so after that, Rhodes had a pretty poor game. Uh, he didn't drive on some of these slants. Sometimes it was difficult because uh, they intentionally created a, a couple of rubs against, uh, I think, like Harrison Smith, for example, when he was in the box. And then they made it kind of difficult. But, I mean, his job is to take on a receiver who's kind of difficult to take on. So, sure. Uh, Tough you know, task. Right. And so uh, I, I would say he had a pretty poor game in that second half against Rhodes, but that concurrently worked with a great second half of the game for the rest of the defense. So I'd say, you know, you take the Julio Jones game, you take the Devontae Adams game, you you combine them and you say, we don't know, right? You combine them and say, (laughs) he could be really good and just have had a bad game. He could be really bad and just have had a good game, which I think is a little less likely. Um, Or he could be kind of in between an average. And I think it's tempting to say that he's in between, but I honestly, I think we don't know. And, you know, maybe he doesn't get to go up against Antonio Brown next week, but he will go up against Allen Robinson mm-hmm. the week after. And assuming that the ball can get there, <laughs> you know, that that will be a pretty good test too. Fair enough. Uh, let's get to a defensive player who I think we both agree has, has had a couple of good games and another one of those players who there were some questions about whether he could get back to that high level that he was so known for. That, of course, being Everson Griffin. Uh, three tackles today, didn't have a sack, but was constantly after Aaron Rodgers was disrupting the passing game for the Packers. He's coming off of a week where Mike Zimmer praised him, said that he looked like his Pro Bowl self against the Falcons. Is this stringing together back-to-back good games for Everson? How optimistic are you? How And how, you know, just do you evaluate his play uh, in Lambeau today? He had a remarkable game. And I would say maybe some of that has to do with the fact that David Bakhtiar is not at 100%. So, I, you know, I would... Grain of salt. Yeah, I would say. But given that he also had a pretty remarkable game against Jake Matthews, who, as far as I know, wasn't injured, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're maybe at that point again where we can say, hey, we actually did find, you know, the Everson of old. Now, one of the things about aging is that, you know, stamina plays a role. And so, you know, <laughs> are we going to get that Everson week 17? I don't know. But right now he's playing at almost as well as he did uh, in that in that first half of 2017. And that's a very hyperbolic statement. I've made a couple of them already when I was talking about all pro running backs and all pro receivers, but he looked incredible today against the run, I think was a big part of it, but also just, uh, I mean, he had 10 or so, I, you know, I wasn't keeping super great track, but he had at least one quarterback hit on Aaron Rodgers. He had a a bunch of pressures against Rodgers, both looping inside and just beating David Bakhtiari one-on-one. He forced a lot of quick throws. He forced Rodgers to get rid of the ball quickly and in suboptimal situations. He's a big part of the reason that Rodgers only averaged 3.1 yards per attempt after those first three drives. He, I think, had a better game than anyone else on the defense. And that includes Daniel Hunter, who was a monster against the run, had really good pass rush, ended up getting one of the sacks. That includes Linval Joseph, who was great against the run. Uh, that includes Eric Hendricks, who may have been you know the second best player out there on the defense, who had just a really great game. Um, I think Everson was the best player for that defense, and that defense really showed up, again, after those first three possessions. 
That's Arif Hassan. I'm Chad Graff. If you're looking for more of Arif's breakdowns, you'll find it on The Athletic on Monday. He'll be breaking down the defense and what worked for the Vikings after that switch. We are looking now as the sun has set over Lambeau Field already. It's dark. The lights are on on the not-so-frozen tundra. We've got a five-hour drive back to Minneapolis uh, after a day of cheese curds and post-game pizza and possibly McDonald's drive through just feeling great when we arrive back in. Cheesecake so. and cheese dip nachos. <laughs> and, oh, when in Rome. Hey, before we go, we wanted to share some big news with you. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you are going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davids and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on the show. Uh, that'll do it, though, for the Straight Cash podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review. That would go a long way for us. And we'll be back on Thursday with a special guest. Thanks for listening. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. And at the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guy. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.